At this point, I'd like to transition us to our next segment and section of our service, and that is the the reading of God's word and the teaching of God's word. We are nearing the end of our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and today we will be considering a a text that has some life-changing, spirit-renewing, heart-liberating truths which are meant to satisfy our souls forever. And so as we hear God's word read to us, and as we hear it taught to us, please listen carefully, lean in, as God reveals himself to us today. To help us with the reading of God's word, we have Pamela. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Who is God to you? Is God angry or kind? Or is he cruel or compassionate? These were questions that I had to ask myself when I first considered Christianity. And these same questions were asked in a study done by the University of Texas in 2014. And in this study, they explored the relationship of prayer and anxiety. What they found was it really depends on how you see God. For those who saw God as malevolent and angry, Prayer was a failed task, and prayer would actually add anxiety. It would make it worse. But for those who saw God as a loving father, similar to a way a father loves a child unconditionally, prayer provided relief. So let's ask that question, who is God? When I considered that, what I found was the God I finally got to know was so different than who I perceived him to be before I became a Christian. And that's what we're going to see that in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, he shows us and illustrates to us that he is a father. That's who he says he is. He's a father. And because he's a father, we can keep going to him because we know that he will be good to us. Because he's a father, we can keep going to him because we know that he will be good to us. And so there's three ways that we see God as a father in Matthew 7, 7, 11. The first one is that he, that God is a loving father. The second way we see this is that God is a father in heaven. And three, God is a father who gives good gifts. A loving father, a father in heaven, and a father who gives good gifts. So let's look at the first point. A father who is a loving father. Let's see that. Verse 7, 7 to 8. He shows us that because he's a loving father, he invites us to keep coming to him. Verse 7 reads, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. The three words, ask, seek, knock. What we don't see in the English is actually what we find in the ancient Greek, the original language that this was written in. And these three words, ask, seek, knock, are what we call, they're in the present imperative tense. 
present tense is not just something that happens now, but it's something that keeps on happening, keeps on going, a regular occurrence. An imperative is a command to, to do these things. What God is showing us is that we can come to him again and again with such a confidence. We can keep coming to him. And this is consistent, um, as we see in a couple of other verses. Matthew twenty one twenty two reads, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. John fifteen seven says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What about the Lord's Prayer? We looked at this a couple weeks ago. What does the Lord's Prayer start with if you know this prayer? It starts with, our Father who art in heaven. God is showing us that he is a loving Father that is eager for us to come to him confidently again and again and again. But we need to be real with ourselves. We don't often go to God, often do we? We don't often think to go to him first, especially if you're not a Christian. I mean, God is sometimes even completely out of the question. But even if you've been a Christian for years, why is it that often we depend on ourselves so much more than we depend on God? And God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Keep coming to me. Especially in this pandemic. Have you not seen how our illusion of self-dependence is exactly that? It's an illusion. How many of our plans have changed our goals, our career goals, the promotions we were seeking and eager for, our, our travel plans, our life plans. How quickly did these things shift and change? What God is showing us is that even in this time, especially in this time, that we can go to him, that we can depend on him, and that when we do depend on him, and when we go to him, and we keep going to him, that he will be good to us. My daughter, Nora, is nine months old. And during this pandemic, I've gotten to see her grow before my eyes. I put her down for a nap, and she's three inches longer. I don't know what we feed that girl. What I love that she does is uh, when she's downstairs and she's being fed, and I come downstairs after studying, and she hears the creaking of the stairs, she immediately looks in my direction, and her face lights up, and she's so happy to see me. I love that. And when I get closer, she throws up her hands. She wants me to hold her. She needs me. She, she wants my comfort. And I delight in that. And I, I, I think if she needs me now, I hope, I hope that she'll continue to need me for her life. She'll need me for advice. She'll need me for her first steps to uh, teach her how to drive. She'll even need me maybe to walk her down the aisle. I'm, I don't know about that one. In her lifetime, I'm hoping that she needs me. And when I think about it, God is an eternal God who's saying that we can go to him confidently, not just in this life now, but we can continue to go to him in eternity and to go to him with such confidence. Where where does this confidence come in? We, We have this confidence because we can trust that he'll be good to us. In verse eight, it says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Those who knock, it will be open to them. He satisfies those who come to him. He will satisfy you because of his goodness, because he's a loving father. The other way we see that God is a loving father 
is because we can see that he invites us to come to him as we are. We can go to God as we are. Verse 11 actually describes those who ask, seek, and knock. And it's not pretty. It says, if you who are evil, if you who are evil can give good gifts to your child who asks, how much better will, be, will God be to you? How good will God be to you? The whole, the whole idea is that we're evil. We're the ones that are called evil. And we have to ask, are we evil? You're probably thinking that, am I really that evil? If I, if I think about myself, I mean, I, I do bad things, but I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm not completely evil. God's context is that we don't set the standard of good and evil. When we do that, when we think, are we evil or not? We are setting that standard. What God says and what scripture says, the Bible this illustrates and shows us, is that God sets the standard. God sets the standard of good and evil. And what is the standard? It's God himself. God, the perfect God, is completely good. And compared to God, we're evil. Compared to this perfect, good God, that's what we're called. And it doesn't take a lot to see, a, a lot to see our imperfections, that we're not perfect like God. It doesn't take to see that we have this potential. The last time that you were tired and you had a long day, and your guard was down. What were the temptations that started to hit you and creep in? The last time you had a fight with your spouse or an issue with your boss, your coworkers, your roommate, what were the mean and vile things that you said to them? Hopefully not out loud. Maybe you did. What were they? Or what about our fantasies? often the things that play in our head that we would be way too disgusted and embarrassed to share out loud. Yet with our potential for evil, yet with this label of evil, what does this say? It says, come to me as you are. Ask, seek, knock. God doesn't say, fix yourself first. God doesn't say, prove your value to me. He says, come to me as you are. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. With your brokenness and with your sin, come to me. In a, in a world that is so performance-driven, in a world that is so based on our output of, of what we show and being rewarded by that, God says, no, come to me as you are. There's a story that Jesus tells, and it's a story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You may know the story. It's a story of how a son takes his father's money, his inheritance money, and spends it. He parties hard, and he does all kinds of crazy things. He ends up doing things that are so disgusting that they would bring shame on his family. And finally, he hits rock bottom, and when he gets there, he realizes, I have nothing. What am I going to do? And he finally decides to go home and as he's heading home after this long journey, his father sees him at the, in a distance. And his father gets up and starts running to the sun. And you're thinking, okay, why is he running to the sun? Is he going to, you know, give the sun a good spanking? No. The, son, the father embraces the sun. The father rejoices that the sun is home. And the father puts together this party that his son is home. And Why? 
Why does the father do this? Simply because his son is here, is coming to him as he is. And his son's probably stinky, covered in dirt, smells bad. Yet the father doesn't care. The father doesn't even care what the son has done. He just embraces him. In a similar way, we can come to God as we are. Does God ask us to, to, for the good to come to him? No, he says, those who are evil, come to me as you are. With all your stuff, all your baggage, come to me. So we've seen how God is a loving father. Let's look at how God is a father in heaven. How God is a father in heaven. And what we see is actually, we see that in verse 11, which describes that how because our father God is the Father in heaven. He's unlike us. Let's look at that. Verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Your Father who is in heaven. There is a contrast between us who are evil and God who is our Father in heaven. He is unlike us. I was recently on a site called the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science. And these are really smart people, genuinely clever people. And as I was reading it, I found an article that tried to diagnose God's psychological profile and disorders. What do you think was the first disorder? God's a narcissist. God creates the universe. He creates us. Why? So that we would worship him. I mean, doesn't that sound like a narcissist? I mean, if I did that, if you did that, we'd be narcissists, right? Why I think we often have a hard time of understanding who God is as God is what we do is we assume that God, we take ourselves and we take away our problems and we make, we say, okay, What if I was completely uh, without space and time and limitations? What if if I was completely all-knowing and all-seeing? The point is, we we start with such a centered, self-centered perspective when, when, when we project and say, hey, God is just a bigger, more powerful version of ourselves. And that's a problem because God doesn't say that. If I had a whiteboard, I'd show you a little stick figure and that's us. And we just project and see God as a bigger version, more powerful version, more almighty version. That's here. What God is saying is he's over here. He's outside of that. God is completely God. When God says he is good, he is completely good, unlike us. When God says he is perfect, he is completely perfect. God is not restrained by human limitations, by human tendencies. He's not restrained by by space and time. God is God. God is unlike us. And because God is unlike us, in the context of him worshiping, who else but God can create the universe with his breath and create life with his breath? Who else can be worshipped and not be puffed up with pride except for one who is completely good and holy? And because God is unlike us. I think it also shows that God is unlike our fathers. God is unlike our fathers. Richard Dawkins, the, fa- the, the founder of psychoanalysis and modern psychology as we see it, he proposes that God is simply 
a projection of our infantile need for a father figure. So we see our father and we say, oh, I need that. I, I project that and that's what I need. I need God. I obviously disagree with Freud. But one thing I think we, we do is that we look at our relationships with our father and our earthly fathers and we project that onto God. And what I mean by that is what, what kind of father did you grow up with? Did you, fa- did you grow up with a father who measured you so much by your, what you did, your grades, the school you ended up getting accepted to, the one you went to, uh, the job you ended up getting, how fast you got the job, did you get that promotion, how much do you earn? If that's your father, what is God like? Do you always feel the need like you're never enough? Do you always feel like you always have to get it together before you pray to God because you're just not worth it? You're just not enough. Or did you grow up with a father who was a pretty good dad, who cared for you and loved you, but you know his flaws? Your dad was not perfect, and you remember those flaws so clearly. And when life doesn't go your way, do you feel like possibly God is being unfair to you? like the experience of unfairness that you may have experienced with your father, do you feel like that that's God, that he's being unfair, that he's being wrong for the wrong reasons, that it's hard to see that God is completely good? Or if you're like me, I've recently had to come to terms that my father was an angry and violent man. He was abusive physically and mentally in a violent way to, to myself, to my mother. My, my sister had to see that growing up. And the idea that God loves me, the idea that God, that God actually wants to, to be in relationship with me, that he actually cares, that made no sense to me. What God is showing us, he's not any of these things because he is perfectly the Father. He is a perfect Father. He is a perfect Father without flaws, a perfect Father without sin and anger and issues. He loves you as you are as a child. And as much as God is unlike us, as much as God is unlike our fathers, what I think is profound is that this actually shows us that we can be like Him. We can be like God. And what I mean by that is in Matthew 11, I'm sorry, in, in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, specifically verse 11, it describes, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Before this are two rhetorical questions. Uh, if your child asks for bread, will you give them a stone? No, the obvious answer is no. If, you're, if your child asks for a fish, will you give them a snake? The answer is no. That's actually happened to me before. I was given snake instead of fish. That's another story. But the idea here is the answer is no. It's obviously. You're, we're, no matter what race or culture we come from, the desire to be good to our children is baked into us. And when we are good to our children, we are reflecting God. That's, that's profound. In our goodness, the best parts of us, the best parts of our Father can reflect God. And where else do we see that? And, and before we see that, and how I see it in my life, 
my relationship with my father, like I said, is it's not great, but we have a, what we call a WhatsApp relationship. I send him a message, happy Father's Day, happy New Year's, um, happy whatever. And recently when COVID-19 hit Toronto, my dad asked me for my address and he sent me hundreds of masks, hundreds. What am I going to do with these masks? Don't worry, I donated pretty much all of them. This showed me that despite my flawed relationship with my father and the, the father that I have that is flawed, he loves me and cares for me simply because I'm his son. He loves me and cares for me simply because I am his child. And that is a reflection of God. And why this is an important point is actually, I want to take a step back and look at actually the very part of the, of the beginning of the Bible that it's actually God's plan that we would reflect him and reflect him well. In the book of Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, God creates the universe and he creates mankind. What does this say about mankind? It says he makes us as his image. In his image does he make us. We are made to reflect God. But what happens in Genesis 3, a couple chapters later, sin is introduced into the world. Sin corrupts not only the world, but it corrupts the image of God in us and like a shattered mirror. When you look at it, you can see parts of the face. You can see kind of the form of, of the reflection. But it's a, it's a fragmented, distorted image of what it's trying to reflect. God's whole mission is to redeem that, to restore that, to restore the image of God in us. And that's a, a beautiful thing. Like a parent that is so happy when a child uh, reflects the good habits, right? The bad habits, oh, you blame that on the other spouse. I'm just kidding. You don't do it. That's bad. But the good things, that parent rejoices. Wow, my, my, my child is so kind and so loving. and I've taught this child so well. God rejoices and is worshipped when we reflect him. And so we have to ask ourselves, how? How do we get to this point of restoration? And to understand how we get to the point of restoration, we need to see that the Father not only is a loving Father, our Father in heaven, but He's also a Father who gives good gifts. He's a Father who gives good gifts. And how do we see that? We see that again in verse 11. It's our key verse today. How much more, and the tail end of it, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? How much more Will God be good to us? And his goodness is, is seen in different ways. In one way, it's called the common grace that God gives us. In the air, we breathe the sustaining of this universe. Our bread, our fish. Uh, a couple of verses it talks about do not worry about what you will eat or drink, our daily bread. And these are, these are good things. But you might be asking yourself right now, these sound great, Brian. But how has God been good to me? How has God shown me that he's good? When I'm watching my business crumble, when I can't pay rent and I'm going farther and farther into debt, when I just lost my job and I don't know what's next, I'm not going to pretend for one second that I have a perfect answer for you because I don't, and I don't know you. I'd love to talk to you. But how we know 
that God shows us that he is good is not just in what he gives us, but by who he gives us. And who he gives, his great gift to us, his spiritual gift to us, is his son, Jesus Christ. His son, the son of God, is given to us. He comes into this world. He comes into this world perfect. And as he lives a perfect life, Jesus actually gives his name the Son of Man. And the Son of God and Son of Man lives a perfect life. And, and what happens on the cross? If, if you know the story of the, of the gospel message is that Christ dies on the cross for our sins. As the Son of Man, he is our representation of his people, of man. And when he dies on the cross, he dies for our sin. He dies for our lawlessness. And, and what does that mean? The reason why we, are, we deserve punishment is because of our lawlessness. When we sin, we break a law. And just like this world now, if you break a law, you deserve punishment. And that's what we've done. We've broken God's law. And we deserve punishment. But what does Christ do? Christ takes that sin on himself in a judicial process. He takes our sin onto himself. He takes our death sentence and dies for us. But what does he do as the son of God? As completely God himself, the third person of the Trinity, when he dies on the cross, as God, he is perfect. He is righteous. Remember that perfection we talked about that we could never achieve? His perfection is given to us in this, in this transaction. Our sin is placed on him. His goodness is given to us. But that's not it. When that happens in this, in this process of, trans, of this transaction, the title of a son of God is shared with us. The title of a son of God is given to us. And what happens is after all this happens, God sees us and God looks at us and says, you are my child. God adopts us. In Romans 8, 15, it describes how we are given a spirit of adoption by whom we can call God, Abba, Father. He becomes our father in this, in what we call God's adoption of us. We actually go from what, are, what is described as children of wrath, not God's children, children of wrath, deserving punishment, eternal punishment, into becoming God's children because of what Christ has done, because Christ sees us, because God sees us in Christ. And we move from a setting of a stale courtroom into the setting of a warm home with a loving father. John Murray, the theologian, describes adoption as the apex of grace and privilege. Christians, if you're a Christian, this this is where we are. This is our God is a God to be feared, but a God that is a loving father that asks us to keep coming to him, keep knocking, and he'll be good to us. If you're not a Christian and you're considering Christianity and what I'm saying sounds good and you want to know more, maybe God is something doing, doing something in you right now. Maybe God is revealing himself to you. And I want to invite you to keep asking, keep seeking, find, find the truth for yourself. Look into this, pursue him. And what do we do with all this now? What do we do now that we've seen that God is a loving Father, a Father in heaven, 
a father who gives good gifts, I think the obvious one is to keep going to God. And one way to do that is to keep going to God in prayer. When you pray to God, you know, sometimes we feel like we're just spewing ideas into space, but God is saying, I'm a father and I'm eager to listen to you. I'm here to listen to you. Pray knowing that he hears you. In the book of Psalms, if you've ever read it, it is a messy book with messy, dark prayers. God wants us to walk through life, processing these things with him, depending on him. And he rejoices in that. He invites us to do that. So, so continue to do that. Know that prayer is something that is intimate and with your Father. And another way we can keep going to God is to go to God in repentance. If you don't know God, consider this. Consider to get to know this God, and he, he invites you to come as you are. If you're a Christian and you've been Christian for years, I know there's many of you out there, we need to repent of our sin too. We need to keep repenting of our sin. We need to realize that we depend on his grace. We keep on needing his grace. We need to keep going to him. And instead of doubling down on our sin and allowing us to be trapped in shame, he says, come. Come to me and I will give you rest. And so that's actually my third point. We can go to God for rest. God gives us perfection. In Christ, he sees us as perfect. And if, if you're anything like me, and I've, I've talked to a few of you, we are so eager to always make the right moves, to always do the right things. And when we fail, when we slip up, when we, when we make mistakes, we beat ourselves up. And God says, I see you as perfect in Christ. Rest in that. The next time you fail, rest in that. Go to him. And finally, I want to consider is that we can reflect God. We can reflect God to reflect our Father. That's what he wants us to do. That's ultimately why he restores us, so that we would reflect him, that he would be proud of us as his children as we reflect him. And to do that is not only to depend on God, but to to love and do the things he loves. Scripture outlines that God cares about the marginalized. God cares about the poor, the orphans, and the widows. We have a whole ministry called the Grace Center for Mercy and Justice. And, and there's an opportunity, multiple opportunities for you to serve in this way, to serve our city for those in need. Please take a look at that on our website. And, and to reflect God is to be like him too. Like how God is gracious to us who don't deserve grace, we can learn to be like our Father, to be gracious to those who don't deserve grace. And like our Father who has forgiven us, even though we don't deserve forgiveness as, as difficult as it, as it is, we need to learn to forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness, just as our Father did. And if we seek Him, we depend on God, and we go to Him, we reflect Him more. He's glorified in us. Praise God. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we come before you as your children who need you and know that you invite us to keep coming to you to help us to do exactly that, to to go to you and help. I pray 
for those of us who are struggling in this time, that we would see your goodness, that you would show us that you are the good Father that you tell us you are. Show it to us, God, as hard as it is right now. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us first. And because you loved us first, we now love you. Thank you, Lord, our Father in heaven. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.